Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Plain, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, what does that mean to judge? The Greek is krino, and in, in ancient Greek, this word meant to separate people by tribes and clans, to pick and choose, to prefer, to discriminate, to criticize, to censure, to condemn. It's to conclude that there's a difference between us and them and to seek to influence the lives and actions of others with your verdict. So it's not just there's a difference, but I'm going to influence others. Now the Bible's message is that everything that you judge in other people in some way reveals something about you that you don't want to face. The Apostle Paul in Romans 2 says it like this. He says, For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. And Scripture's full of passages telling Christians that there is a judge and it is not you. And it's a word of hope. It speaks to our ache for the wrongs to be made right. The message of Scripture and all of the ancient Christian creeds is that at the end of history, there will be a judgment and the wrongs will be made right. And the good news is that Jesus is the judge. So the Apostle Paul writes, Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what's hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans, Why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Now, the paradox of judgment is how right and how wrong it feels. Judgment can feel oh so wrong 
and oh so right. Like when that politician who you don't like gets exposed and prosecuted, something inside of you jumps for joy. You feel a sense of relief. Or the criminal who broke into someone else's house and injured a family gets decades in prison and you feel a sense of justice. Or the teacher who writes a student up and sends them to the office and then the office actually does something about it. And it feels like the teacher's load is lightened. And yeah, it doesn't feel good when your coworker cuts all the corners and does a slipshod job over and over, especially if you're the one who has to pick up their slack. But if it finally comes back to bite them and the boss says, all right, that's strike two, one more strike and you're out. Well, there's something there that feels like satisfaction. We all have that relative who's on the opposite end of the spectrum, socially, religiously, politically, the choices they make, the way they order their life. There can be something almost comforting about telling yourself how horrible they are. Judgment can feel oh so right. Like just telling yourself they are selfish. They are lazy. They're stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. They're so uptight. They're so conservative or they're so liberal or they're so brainwashed or they're so dishonest or they're so judgmental. <laughs> it, it can feel even more comforting if you can get someone else to agree with you about that relative. Judgment can feel oh so right. There's, there's something anxiety relieving about assuming you know the motives of the people who are the most difficult for you. It feels good to paint them in all dark colors. It can be cathartic and almost addictive to talk about what you think is going on in someone else's life and what you heard is going on in their life and what you think should be going on in their life and to speculate on why they're doing what they're doing. Judgment can feel oh so right. Our world's filled with people who don't see things the same way. Politics, economics, freedom of speech, systemic racism, sexuality, immigration, militarism, healthcare, on and on and on. And there are all kinds of competing opinions. And we all feel forced at some level to pick a side. Psychologists tell us that our brains are hardwired to want to feel good about the choices we make. It's called the search for dominance structure. And so with all this pressure to pick and choose a side, we go ahead and pick and choose a side. And then we start to tell ourselves that those folks who chose to see things differently, well, they're wrong and they're motivated by bias and they must have ulterior motives because we're the ones who are being objective and they're the ones with the problem. We tell ourselves that God sees things our way and God's on our team. And we come up with lists of Bible verses that prove that God is on our side and that there's a one size fits all answer to this particular issue and that we have that answer. And we stop reading or listening to what folks on the other side are saying and we stop asking that person we disagree with to help us understand them. 
and we become more and more convinced that we're right and they're wrong and those people are the ones messing everything up and ruining everything and trying to take us down and we need to clean house and eliminate the threat and rid the world of evil and it feels oh so right to put everyone else under the microscope and to be perceptive about everyone else because then you can avoid going underneath the microscope yourself. Judgment can feel oh so right. Can you feel it? But judgment can also feel oh so wrong. Like you walk into the break room or the the relatives uh, living room, either one, and you realize, oh, they were right in the middle of complaining about me. They were talking about me negatively. Or you have an experience of being excluded, ignored, not invited to the party, not given an opportunity. Someone acts like your work, your time, your energy are all just a big joke, worthless, of no value, no good. The cop gives you a big ticket, but you never even saw the speed limit sign. Someone tears down your character. They don't address specific behaviors or circumstances. They just start calling you, you, well, you're just selfish. That's who you are. Or you're just a bully. Or you're lazy. Or you're incompetent. Or you're greedy. Someone talks down to you. They frame themselves as the voice of authority, as if they're far superior to you. And they're condescending. They aren't seeking truth at any level. You can feel them trying to control you. And somewhere underneath it all, you can feel their own personal issues lurking. Someone acts like they have the spiritual gift of fault finding and somehow they make you their holy little project. And that experience of being turned into someone's holy project can be even worse if your life really has unraveled. If you truly have messed up and you're trying to not swallow shame, but here they are force-feeding you shame, sugar-coated in their own piety, shoving it down your throat. Judgment can feel oh so wrong. Someone treats you like the only way to have a relationship with them is for you to agree with them and see things exactly the way they see them. And if they find out you see them differently, well, they cut you out. They end the relationship. They start to villainize you rather than upholding your dignity. That person on the other side of the issue starts quoting Bible verses at you as if their stack of Bible verses can beat your stack of Bible verses. Someone takes something that they know or think they know about you and they treat you like an issue rather than a person. Like they turn your diagnosis into your identity as if you are a a mental health condition or a heart issue or uh, a family history of this or that. That's just who you are. Someone assumes that they know why you did what you did. Of course, they don't know half the story. They don't know the pressures you've been under. They don't know the amount of thought and prayer and education and reflection you put into your decision-making process. Judgment can feel, oh, so wrong. So can you see this, this paradox that judgment can feel both oh so right and oh so wrong? Like on the one hand, 
We judge people right and left, and we ache for judgment and long for it. We want what's wrong to be made right, and we want those who harm others not to get away with it, and it feels good to be certain that we have it right and that we're the good guys and we're ridding the world of evil. But on the other hand, we hate judgment. We don't want anyone judging us. We don't want people tearing down our character and assuming they know why we do things. We don't want to be spoken against or spoken down to. So uh, a quick discussion question or reflection question for you. If you were with us at our Sunday gathering, we this is where we, we paused and kicked this around with one another. The question is, Name some of the differences between the times when judgment feels oh so right and oh so wrong. Like what what is it that changes how you feel about judgment? So take a little bit of time and pause the video, reflect on that. This brings us to our text today, James 4, 11 through 12. James writes, Brothers and sisters, do not speak evil against one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? James is concerned about what happens to a Christian's spirituality and Christian community when Christians judge one another. It causes them to relate to Scripture in unhealthy ways. Not only does it mess up their relationship with Scripture, it messes up their relationships with one another, and their relationship with God. Remember, to judge, krino, means to separate, to discriminate, to pick and choose. James says, anyone who judges a brother or sister judges the law. Now, he's already clarified that he's talking about the royal law. That's James chapter 2, verse 8. It's love your neighbor as yourself as this all-encompassing message of Scripture. And James is saying that when you start picking and choosing who you will and won't associate with, which neighbors to love and how you're going to love them, and who you affirm and who you condemn, well, you kind of simultaneously end up picking and choosing Scripture. You start cherry-picking verses and using them to coercively try to make everyone see things your way, like which portions of scripture are to be taken seriously and which will we ignore. And you start imagining that your interpretation of that scripture is the only interpretation. There's only one right reading. There's only one right application, and you have it. Everyone else has it wrong. And you start thinking that you know which verses someone else isn't following. But of course you think they should be. 
And James sees this as judging the law. The 18th century Christian leader, John Wesley, wrote this sermon about Christians who disagree over religious issues, <laughs> kind of like what James is talking about. He, he calls this sermon a caution against bigotry. And here's what he writes. So this is coming from 1700s. John Wesley says, The differences which begin in points of opinion seldom terminate there. They generally spread to the affections, like the heart, and then separate chief friends. Nor are any animosities so deep and irreconcilable as those that spring from disagreement in religion. It is therefore nothing more than we may expect if those who differ from us either in religious opinions or practice soon contract a sharpness, yea, bitterness toward us. If they are more and more prejudiced against us till they conceive as ill an opinion of our persons as of our principles. Now, that was written centuries ago, but have you ever witnessed this dynamic? I, I certainly have. This, this stuff is still alive and kicking. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, If when we judged others our real motive was to destroy evil, we should look for evil where it's certain to be found, and that is in our own hearts. But if we're on the lookout for evil in others, our real motive is obviously to justify ourselves. So, this isn't a conservative problem. This isn't a liberal problem. It's a human problem. You can find the most conservative of Christians and the most liberal of Christians stacking up Bible verses, scrutinizing Bible verses, trying to argue their case and telling other people which verses they should live by and how. And underneath all the picking and the choosing of which verses should be applied to other people, everyone is suffering there from the same condition. They are not engaging scripture and the spirit as a mirror. They are not trying to take this deep, look inward at what the Spirit wants to change within them. They, they have not become a doer of the law. They are engaging Scripture, but as a means of deflection, not reflection on themselves. They're trying to make it about everyone else's problems, everyone else's issues. They're no longer doers of the law, They've become judges of the law and of one another. And remember, everything that you judge in other people in some way reveals something about you that you really don't want to face. A doer of the law, well, they don't read scripture they can, so that they can stand in a place of superiority over how someone else is handling their life. A doer of the law engages scripture and the spirit from a place of humility, 
James has already described it in chapter 1, right at the beginning of the letter, as facing a mirror. That's how he describes it. It's facing your own untamed emotions and your own ego and your own impure motives, your own relationships, your own aspects of your sexuality that are unhealthy and need to change, your own giving to get, your own need to be needed, your own need to be liked and admired, your own temptations and weaknesses and struggles and doubts and greed and resentment and wounds and self-protective and reactive tendencies, your own bias, your own prejudice. It's facing your own shadow side, your own darkness. When you engage scripture and the spirit as a doer of the law, you'll find such a unique personal spiritual experience that there is no turning it into a one-size-fits-all solution for everyone else because it's looking in a mirror. The spirit makes it living and active. You don't look in a mirror and see, oh, I need to wash this part of my face. I need to comb my hair this way and then go try to wash everyone else's face there and comb everyone else's hair the same way you needed to comb yours. The mirror of scripture reflects a different picture, a different need to each person. And we all have different next steps of growth that we need to take. Now, it's not that we don't interpret scripture in community. We need to hear how other people are being impacted by scripture and the spirit for sure. We need other people to help us see our own blind spots as we ask them to engage with us in humility and as we become people who listen well to feedback from others. But if we are separating from Christians because they're not interpreting scripture the same way we are, well, that's where we become judges of the law and of one another. And so the simple question comes, am I deflecting scripture and making it about others? Or am I allowing it to reflect what needs to change inside of me? Now, there's a struggle here that some people wrestle with, and it comes from an honest place. It comes from a good place. People struggle to not judge because they feel compelled to uphold that sin is sin. After all, they tell themselves, like, someone has to stand up for God. Someone has to name good and evil. And so people argue about what sin is and what sin isn't. And they draw the lines all across the map. In his most important teaching about the Holy Spirit, Jesus said that it is not the role of Christians, followers of Jesus, to convince the world of what sin is or is not. It isn't the role of Christians to try to define uh, justice, righteousness, and convince the world of that. It isn't the role of Christians to convince the world of judgment. This is the role of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. Now that temptation 
to usurp the role of the Holy Spirit in someone else's life, it's not anything new. You remember the story of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden? Well, God created humans to know nothing of judgment. The serpent comes along and tempted Eve into judgment. The serpent said, God knows that when you eat from the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Can you hear the judgment in there? The root of judgment is I sit in the place of God over someone else. I get to act like God over them. I claim to know good and evil, and I become prosecutor, judge, jury, and hangman in someone else's case. But the truth is, the most impactful thing that you can do to change someone else is not to try to force them to live according to your standards or your interpretation of Scripture or demand that they see things your way and that you've got it right, the most impactful thing you can do to change someone else is let the Holy Spirit keep changing you. Only the Spirit knows what it is that needs to change within your own heart, your own life, your ego, your relationships, your relationship to to money and sexuality and anxiety and the way you react. None of us experience a journey of spiritual growth that's quick and easy. That's not how discipleship to Jesus works. It's a lifelong process of self-discovery and continued transformation. And it's every bit as vulnerable and difficult as it is rewarding. Our own roads of change are long, they are difficult, facing our own blind spots, changing our attitudes, getting rid of old habits, and generational patterns can take decades of God patiently working with us. And the Spirit is the guide to that journey. And in a similar way, only the Spirit knows what changes are needed in someone else's heart and what changes they are ready for. Their own roads of change and growth will probably be long and difficult, but in different ways than ours. And the Spirit is wise enough and big enough to handle that. So who are you to judge? I close with the words of the late Reverend Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. Billy Graham says, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. And Mother Teresa says, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. 
God's peace be with you, friends.